Hello and welcome back to the Cincy Reformed Podcast. Pastor Zach with you today, and I'm continuing in the series that Pastor Brandon and I have begun on the end times and eschatology, and we are advocating for the uh, doctrine that's called amillennialism. As uh, Pastor Brandon noted in the last episode, the title is certainly unfortunate and it can be confusing. Because if you take it literalistically, it means no millennium. Uh, this is a new label attached to a view that was often considered in the past post-millennialism. But we are stuck with the term, unfortunately. And so when we think then about amillennialism, just to uh, remind you of a quick definition, uh, we are affirming that Jesus Christ inaugurated his messianic kingdom and his millennial reign with his resurrection, ascension, and pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. This inaugurated kingdom and millennial reign is properly situated in heaven, although it obviously, we affirm, becomes manifest on earth, especially through the church and its ministry, and it will be consummated with the return of Jesus Christ. His kingdom and reign are begun, and they will be completed on that last day. Amillennialism stands over against the Golden Age perspectives of both premillennialism and postmillennialism. Both of those advocate for an intermediate step, a sort of earthly Golden Age where the world is largely Christianized prior to the new creation. You can think of both of those as advocating for a stepping stone, and then they differ as to whether the stepping stone occurs uh, before. Uh, 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 that Christ returns before that stepping stone to bring about, as with premillennialism, or if Christ comes back after that intermediate step or postmillennialism. Again, the existence of an intermediate step, an earthly golden age, characterizes both of those. Now, this consideration of the millennium and amillennialism is important to address uh, within our American context. Over the course of church history within America, there's been a noticeable pendulum swing of extremes. The early Puritans who came to America were ordinarily post-millennial. They thought that America would begin an earthly golden age. They called America the New Jerusalem, and that this would sweep across the world. This then provided context for manifest destiny and American exceptionalism within American political life. But then eventually, the old Puritan version of postmillennialism became a very cultural version of postmillennialism, which was called the social gospel, in which overthrowing poverty, alcoholism, and unclean working conditions were identified with the kingdom of God, and they believed that these things would sweep across the world, ushering in the millennium. But that postmillennial optimism then gave way within American history to a deep pessimism following the two world wars. Dispensational premillennialism became the standard belief within conservative Bible-believing churches. The Schofield Bible contributed much to this, along with popular-level books like Hal Lindsey's 
Late Great Planet Earth, and the Left Behind series. Furthermore, movies like Thief of the Night contributed much. To the dispensational premillennialist, the kingdom has not begun, but it awaits the future millennium. After the Gentile church is secretly raptured off the earth at the time of the Great Tribulation. Only after those things will Christ return to restore his millennial kingdom within Israel. To the dispensational premillennialist, Gentiles from the nations entering the church is something of a surprise, not a focal point of the biblical narrative. There is optimism for the Jews, not really for the nations. Nowadays, with all the cultural upheaval occurring within the West and the United States, it appears that postmillennialism is again on the rise. Among some, it could relate to recovery of traditional American views. Among others, it is a method of coping with the loss of cultural power and prestige. Of course, there are many of these who are convinced it is taught by the Bible, but Brandon and I simply disagree, as does the mainstream of the Continental Reformed tradition. Now, as we get into the topic for today, I want to remind us that when we come to biblical interpretation, there are a few key things we need to keep in mind. The teaching we find in some parts of the Bible is clearer than its teaching in other parts. Some sayings in the Bible are confusing, while others are plain and straightforward. God has inspired all of Scripture, and therefore there are no contradictions within Scripture, since God is light and He is truth. The conversations that devolve into, well, you have your texts, but I have mine, are silly, since they suggest that the Bible contradicts itself. The problem is with us and our interpretation, not with Scripture. So, if we come to a text that is unclear, we should allow clearer texts to guide us. Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, at this point, I don't imagine any Protestant disagreeing. But it's strange that many of these same Protestants want to approach eschatology in a backwards manner. Let me demonstrate. What comes to your mind when I say end times? You probably think of Revelation or the later chapters of Daniel. For some reason, people think that these texts should guide our reading of the New Testament epistles and gospels. I want to suggest to you that we should do the complete opposite. Let us first consider the end times from the clearer language of Jesus and Paul. They both speak about the end times, and they use different kinds of language, including what we're considering today, this age, and the age to come. In other words, both Jesus and Paul divide world history, redemptive history, into two ages. And what I hope to demonstrate is that this clear, biblical, two-age approach fits the amillennial viewpoint far better than postmillennialism or premillennialism, which both require some third epoch, some sort of intermediate step, a golden age on earth. Now, I am benefiting and also attaching to the show notes page a helpful chart created by the Reverend Dr. Kim Riddlebarger, who consolidated the language and teaching of the two ages, and as I recall, he was using insights from Gerhardus Voss. Now, we begin by considering texts that speak of both this age and the age to come, in order to show you and establish that Paul and Jesus are employing this terminology to speak about redemptive history. So first, let's consider the teaching of Jesus. 
Matthew 12, 32, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now from Luke 18, verses 29 and 30, and Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now nearly identical words then are found of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. From Luke chapter 20, verses 34 and 35, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Thus far the teaching of Jesus on this age and the age to come. Now, the teaching of Paul. Again, these are verses where we find both of those um, terms together. Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21. He raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul writes as well in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. There he clearly alludes to the two ages. He speaks of the rich in this present age and commands them to be rich in good works in preparation for the true life of the future that he is speaking of as eternal life, clearly alluding to the two ages. From these previous verses, we begin to see that both Jesus and Paul envisioned two ages, not three. There is not this age, then a golden age or intermediate step, and then finally a new creation age of glory. Rather, there are two but let's investigate what Jesus and Paul teach us about what characterizes these two ages so we don't rush to conclusions. Let's begin with the teaching of Jesus concerning this age. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus reassures his disciples, immediately prior to his ascension, that he would still be with them as they conduct the Great Commission, saying, And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. In Luke 18:30, which we just read, the one who leaves earthly things behind for the sake of the kingdom, quote, will receive many times more in this time. Commentators connect this to the temporal benefits of the church community, a church family to make up for any loss of the biological family, and Christian hospitality to make up for the loss of an earthly house and home. The parallel text to Luke 18.30, Mark 10.30, adds the element that persecutions will come upon those who have left houses and family for the sake of the gospel. In Mark 10.30, is clarified that that will endure for this time, which is juxtaposed with eternal life in the age to come. In Luke chapter 20, verse 34, which we just read, this age is characterized by marriage. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 38 through 40, 
we read about the close of this age. This occurs within the parable of the weeds that Jesus tells. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The great judgment, in other words, brings this present age to an end. We will continue to think now about this age, but we will turn from Jesus to Paul. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. From these words of Paul, we see that this age exhibits a morally contrary pattern that the Christian must never follow. This same immoral pattern of this age is found in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 20, Paul asks rhetorically, Where is the debater of this age? In other words, they are not to be found within the church. Why? Quote, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul continues to indict this age in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 of 1 Corinthians, where he writes, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Paul refers to Satan as the god of this age. The ESV translates it world. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. In Galatians 1 verse 4, Paul decries this present evil age. And to the same effect, he writes at the start of Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the age of this world. The ESV reads the course of this world, but it's really the age of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Whereas this age is depicted as immoral and fallen, something associated with the world that responds to a wicked ruler, authority, and power, Paul assures us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 he comforts us that Christ is seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, quote, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. Indeed, his reign is over those powers who are in this age, Paul writes. Given that Christ abides with us during this age, and he reigns over this age and over all its wicked rulers, we Christians are then called to respond to God's grace by living, quote, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory 
of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Titus 2, verses 12 and 13. And according to 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, those Christians who who happen to be rich in this present age should do good and be rich in good works. Now, to quote Dr. Riddlebarger, in every instance, the qualities associated with this age are temporal in nature. These texts describe the present course of history before the return of Christ and are things which pass away at his return. End quote. I would add that this age is described as fallen and immoral, standing against God, which is contrary to any sort of golden age approach, since they make this age Christianized. This age as well is brought to an end by the final judgment, as described in Matthew chapter 13. This line of thinking excludes both premillennialism and postmillennialism. Now, let's move on to consider what is distinct about the age to come within the biblical texts. I will simply cite those texts I have already read, but read any new ones. Per our expectations, Christ will continue to reign in the age to come. Ephesians 1 verse 21. And Jesus in Luke 18 and Mark 10 tell us that the age to come is one of eternal life, where we will no longer marry or be given in marriage. Luke 20. While the letter to the Hebrews does not uh, purport to quote Jesus, it may have had associations with Paul, but regardless, it warns against hypocrisy in the church And it speaks of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come. It seems to me that Hebrews 6 verses 4 and 5 is speaking about baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the ministry of the Word, using language reminiscent of the Exodus and wilderness wandering. Pertinent to our considerations is that the ministry of word and sacrament brings the powers of the age to come to bear upon the Christian church. There is, in other words, a collision between the eternal heavenly age and this present evil age within the church's ministry. In summary, the age to come refers exclusively to the eternal realm of glory and eternal life. It refers to the final state, not some intermediate golden age. The heavenly powers of Christ and the new creation do enter this age through the ministry of the church, which is why we can say that Christians are straddling the two ages. Some call this the already and not yet tension. We belong to the coming age, yet we wander as pilgrims here in this present evil age. This dividing line between the two ages is the final judgment, per Matthew chapter 13. And once again, this points us in the direction of amillennialism, since both the premillennial and postmillennial perspectives require an intermediate step, some sort of earthly golden age that is prior to the new creation. In summary, the amillennial position affirms that the eternal kingdom and new creation has already been inaugurated. This happened by the resurrection 
and ascension of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. His messianic kingdom and millennial reign is now, but is properly in heaven. At the close of this age, his messianic kingdom will be consummated by his return. He will bring this present age to an end via the final judgment and bring creation into the age to come, the age of glory, which he already inhabits. Well, I hope this reflection on the two ages as taught by Jesus and Paul, and also with a dose of Hebrews chapter 6, has been helpful to you as you think about what it means to have a biblical eschatology and to think rightly about this time, this age, and then the age that is to come. I hope that these reflections are encouraging to you as you think about your identity as a Christian pilgrim in this world, and that we ought to fix our minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So until next time, this is the Cincy Reformed Podcast. You can find us at cincyreformed.org. Find us as well at westsidereformed.org. And we look forward to having you join us next time. Bye-bye.